welcome to Peer to Peer, the podcast, brought to you by Rainer. Listen in as we hear from top surgeons having great conversations with their peers about hot and popular topics in ophthalmology. In this episode of Peer to Peer, the podcast, Dr. Paul Singh is joined by cataract specialists Dr. Arjun Hura and Dr. Caroline Rocha, all widely published leading surgeons who regularly present on podiums at congresses around the world. Dr. Inda Paul Singh is president of the Eye Centers of Racine and Kenosha Limited in Wisconsin. Dr. Arjun Hura is a refractive cataract and anterior segment surgeon at the Maloney Shamey Vision Institute in Los Angeles, California. Dr. Caroline Rocha is assistant professor of ophthalmology at MUSC in Charleston, South Carolina, specializing in cataract, cornea and refractive surgery. Today they will discuss the Ray1 EMV enhanced monofocal IOL RayPro, a digital platform for collecting patient-reported outcomes after surgery, as well as Hassa Optics single-use surgical instruments. Let's dive in. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Rainer Peer-to-Peer Podcast. My name is Paul Singh and I'm honored to be here with two amazing colleagues of mine, Carolini Rocha and Arjun Hura. And we're going to talk about some really cool topics, some cool, uh, cool technologies. One's going to be a lens that we use as well called the EMV lens. We'll talk about a cool uh, kind of software that helps with patient-reported outcomes called RayPro, um, as well as talk about some new kind of disposable instruments from Hasa. So uh, first I want to talk about the lens. I think all three of us use the EMV lens. And I, I think it's really a cool technology, a monofocal lens, right? It has some really cool properties. So Carolina, you've done some great work with this and presented at ASCRS. Talk about what the EMV lens is and how it's been utilized for you. Great. So the EMV is a monofocal lens, right? But I would say it's a monofocal plus. Why is that? Because it's a monofocal lens uh, with that perfect amount of sphere coloration that uh, the patients, they still have amazing distance vision, right? So you can basically achieve that extended range of vision without compromising the distance. So basically, it's a premium option for any of our monofocal uh, patients. That's really impressive. Talk more about aberration. What does it mean to to kind of maximize aberration profiles? Right. So uh, just like Carolyn mentioned, EMV, enhanced monovision. That's literally the name of the lens. So it can be used for amitropia and gives about a diopter and a half of extended range. It's not ANSI, you know, qualified EDOF lens, but it does enhance the range and it's meant to be used for monovision. So... A diopter, a diopter and a quarter offset really gives patients a broad range of vision. And it all comes down to the architecture of the lens. So it's a hydrophilic acrylic lens that utilizes positive spherical aberration. What spherical aberration does, our eyes naturally use spherical aberration. Our corneas have spherical aberration, the natural lens has spherical aberration. And that really can give an extended depth of focus effect. So patients get almost like a premium IOL experience without actually using a quote-unquote premium IOL. Yeah, and that's a really important concept to understand. You know, our corneas have 0.2, 0.27, right? Positive aber- uh, spherical aberration. So if we leave, there's a kind of a sweet spot, right, Carolini, where yeah. you can leave enough spherical aberration to give yourself that depth of focus without losing contrast. Is that the, the basic principle behind it? Yes, and this is really so perfect because it's that right amount of spherical aberration. Again, you can see really great for distance and you have this extended range. Um, and uh, just to share a little bit of our study that we presented at ASRS. Yeah, yeah, please. Yeah, so uh, we look at 40 eyes, and what we did, you know, we checked, we evaluated um, uncorrected distance visual acuity, and then the distance corrected intermediate in ear, right? Because if someone is a little myopic, of course, they do amazing with monovision, 
But it was incredible. 74% of patients, they were better than 2030 for intermediate vision. Wow. So That's yes, it's a monofocal lens, but it's a really a, like a premium lens. Yeah, I would say my experience completely mirrors that. So I like to utilize this lens in a variety of scenarios. So one is a patient, let's say they don't want a premium eye well, they just want a standard monofocal lens. And I will tell them that they're probably going to need to be in glasses full time for maybe all ranges of vision, especially if we're not correcting astigmatism. But a lot of times they're so impressed and surprised by, hey doc, I can actually reach the dashboard. I can, I can see the stairs when I'm going up and down. I can use the computer. So that's a patient that does really well with it. Obviously utilizing the monovision effect, the offset, those patients do great as well. And then because of the positive spherical aberration built into the center of the lens, if a patient is post-refractive surgery, let's say hyperopic LASIK or hyperopic PRK, I like to use this lens for them as well because I can negate some of the effect of the negative spherical aberration that, that's been left in the cornea because of the refractive surgery. And, and you brought up a really good point. I want to just talk about intermediate vision. I, I think we've realized over the last, you know, maybe a few years how important and how impactful maintaining that intermediate vision is. Talk about that in your patient population. I mean, I can give you my examples, but how, much, how important is that intermediate like dashboard in a car for your patients? extremely important, right? It's not only the dashboard, but everything. Tablets, your iPhone, right? We spend more time here. Your, our lives are here now, right? So even talking to my mom, you know, what do you want for your surgery? Oh no, I want distance. But then I took pictures of her. Even when she's watching TV, she's not watching TV. She's listening to the TV and she's looking at her phone and tablet. So and sometimes it's really hard to explain to patients, right? So if you're just addressing your distance, that you will lose this inter the intermediate vision. Yeah, that's a, and it's a, from a daily functional perspective, I've realized, and a lot of times when I don't explain it properly to patients, I put a standard monofocal lens in the eye, and they, they lose that intermediate, it really does affect them, and a lot of them can't wear some progressive lenses, and it can be very difficult for a patient. So not every patient's gonna get the exact same amount of range of vision, but having that slightly increased range for some of our patients, I think is really useful for sure. The other thing I wanna talk about too, and RJ, I wanna talk about this, is quality of vision. One thing I've, I've also, and you've done some great work with aberrations and, and looking at that, how important is it now just not just for Snell and visual acuity, but just quality of vision and, and how this can help from that perspective, maintain that? I don't have much to add except that the patients are thrilled with the results. I mean, I think the optics in the lens are terrific. I've never had a patient, knock on wood, complain about the quality of vision of the lens. And how, Carolyn, talk about that quality of vision. You've done a lot of work with quality of vision and kind of dysphotopsias and having a monofocal lens that has this aberration profile. Is it maintaining pretty good quality of vision and contrast? Yes, yes. And then again, we talk about quality, right? Uh, the uh, For this lens, you know, if you look at the Abbey number, refractive index is amazing. So this is quality in contrast. Mm -hmm. And then definitely no dysphotopsias, right? We're extremely rare. We're not expecting spider webbing, halos around lights, right? So this is a monofocal lens, a premium monofocal lens. And when you're implanting this lens in the right type of patient, are you doing a, it's a little bit of modified monovision? Talk about how much and if you are kind of with patients. Yes, I mean, I start with the dominant eye. Okay. And then I check, I like to see the patients before doing the second eye, right? Because you'd be surprised. Sometimes they're 20-20 J3, and then I know I don't need to offset that much, the non-dominant eye. Usually it's minus 0.75. And one thing that is so interesting about this lens, and again, is a premium monovision. Why? Because the reading eye, the patients, they still see fantastic for far vision, right? They're 20-25, mm -hmm. right? 20-25, yeah, 20-30, even if you target like a minus one. So basically the eyes, they blend, right? Your distance eye gives you some intermediate and then the reading eye blends to distance. 
I love that. Talk, talk, is that how you do about a half an hour to three quarters? Pretty much. I would say sure. if a patient has enjoyed monovision either naturally or through LASIK or some form of refractive surgery or just contact lenses or spectacles, I'll try to mimic that. But because, like Caroline mentioned, there's this extended range of vision that comes without sacrificing really too much at distance, I will sometimes go to minus one, minus 1.25, even minus 1.5. I've really played around with all sort of ranges to tailor the vision to what the patient wants and all outcomes have been really good. Yeah, and I really love, love what you said about this whole blended vision because I think we, we tend to underestimate the impact of standard monofocal lenses and how we do have that skip. My father-in-law had that. <laughs> and, and he had toric IOLs put in, monofocal torics, and one was for distance, one was here. And he's like, I can read, I can see far away, but I can't use a computer now, right? So having that blended, not having to be as much for a lot of patients, and having that kind of smooth transition, I think is really important, at least from, from my experience so far as well. Yeah, I would agree with that, because I think patients, at least in today's day and age, they understand maybe with a multifocal lens or diffractive optics, uh, they'll get out of glasses. But oftentimes, if they say they're okay using reading glasses, they won't necessarily be anticipating. They may actually need a weaker pair of readers for intermediate as well. Mm -hmm. exactly. And so I've actually sometimes had patients who opted for a monofocal lens just for a plano OU distance target say, oh, I, I, I'm fine using cheaters for up close, but I also have to use a pair for intermediate. Not everyone understands that. So to be able to give patients a broader range of vision and just still have them use maybe readers occasionally, depending on sort of the level of monovision offset, I, I view that as almost like a value add or like a little bonus. Huge. I always like to under-promise and over-deliver, and I feel like this lens really helps me do that. Absolutely. And I think the last thing I'll say about that is that, you know, when, when people tell me, they come in and say, oh, yeah, I had monovision for years. Yeah, when you're 35 years old and you do monovision, you still have that, that you know, kind of accommodative effort. So your dominant eye can still give you that range of vision. But when you take a lens out and put a, you know, kind of a, a monofocal lens, you don't, you lose that for, for the, many of the monofocal lenses, and that's where you get into trouble for those patients who aren't happy as well. So I love that blended range is what you're talking about. Real quick, just talk about the lens itself, insertion, any, any kind of pearls, any, any experiences, how it's been to insert it in the eye? Yeah, no, it's preloaded, right? So our staff, they love the lens because mm -hmm. it's so easy. And uh, again, no manipulation or cracks in your lens during surgery um, and very easy. And single piece. Um, goes in the bag and um, yeah, very friendly. Very smooth loader, oh, right? No, I mean, exactly. I love how smooth it is. I didn't anticipate you bringing this up, but I it's love smooth. that you it brought smooth. this. Like, oh. This is one of my favorite <laughs> IOLs to put in from a stability in the bag standpoint. Yeah. So I have to credit uh, Bill Wiley, my fellowship director, with teaching me how to do this. But I can oftentimes just insert the lens one-handed into the bag without the need to dial in the haptic. If you there's a certain if you go at a certain angle and you withdraw just a little bit, the lens goes in so nicely. Haptics really expand the bag. It's really just a, a pleasure to use the IOL. Yeah. There's no there's no hiccuping when it's being inserted. It's just smooth glides right in. Yeah, I love it. And actually, we use a, a two, sub two incision, and we're able to, to fit it through a sub two incision. So it's, it's nice and smooth, which is a thing a big benefit as well. Right. Any other comments on the on the EMV lens? Anything else that we want to talk to make sure we we cover for our colleagues out there? Good really options. Really excited about this new category of monofocal lenses yeah. for, for our patients. Yeah, there's so there's a lot of these new monofocal, sometimes colloquially called monofocal plus lenses different names, enhanced lenses, but the, the, what I want to just say is the EMV has a really great defocus curve. So for people who like to look at the nitty gritty, if you compare yeah, the defocus that, curve yeah. of the EMV relative to other monofocals or monofocals that maybe have a little bit of a boost at intermediate, it's quite impressive. Yeah, I've, I've seen some defocus curves on, on commercially available EDOF lenses. I mean, this is not an EDOF lens, I know, but it's, it's, it rivals some of those EDOF lenses that are officially approved for that as well. So yeah, I agree with you. Definitely very impressive. So thanks for that. This is great stuff. Uh, well, let's, let's move on. 
And let's talk about something else, and, and that's the uh, Ray Pro, which is a program that allows us to uh, really engage patients postoperatively, that allows us to understand patient report outcomes. How are our patients doing? Uh, so anyone want to comment on Ray Pro? Like, what is, is the idea of that? I mean, how important are patient report outcomes in general? I think they're really important. I mean, as clinicians, as surgeons, we look at two things, right? One is how is the patient actually seeing, oftentimes measured in a very controlled environment in a lane, using either a Snellen acuity chart or some other form of uh, measuring the patient's vision. But that's not necessarily a reflection of real world usage. And so sometimes what a patient's able to read in a clinic maybe might not reflect how they feel they can functionally use their visions in the real world. And with that also, it doesn't necessarily reflect how is the patient feeling? Are they any discomfort? Are they light sensitive? Do they have any uh, dysphotopsias, photophobia at all? And so what I really love about this platform is that it's an easy way to engage the patient postoperatively, long-term up to three years. The patient just gets an email link and fill out a survey, explain sort of how their vision is doing, any symptoms they're having. And that's sort of different feedback than we would traditionally get in clinic. A lot of times when a patient comes in for postoperative visits, we're really focused on what's their vision, what's their pressure, how does the eye look. And yeah, obviously everyone, you want to know what is the chief complaint, what is, you know, mm -hmm. how is the patient doing. But this allows the patient, without being in the doctor's office, at their leisure, in the comfort of their home or wherever, to really think about how they're using their vision. And this can, these data points can be collected long term. And I especially love that Rainer has made this agnostic. So it's not just for Rainer lenses, this can be used for any ILL. And that, that's really important, particularly for someone like you who loves data and loves mm -hmm. research. How important is that to now have, you have access to all that data in a dashboard? And I mean, what can you do with it? I mean, what, 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 could, what can we do with all this you know, patient report outcome data? Oh my goodness. A lot of things. <laughs> I, tell <laughs> us. Tell us. So, but I think for surgeons in our practices, we really want to understand the patient's journey, right? What's happening pre-op, intra-op, and post-op. And sometimes just little things that we can do better. And it's just so hard for us to track, you know, sometimes just really something really small that you can fix and teach your staff. So this is really incredible, right? Because we have early data, uh, early post-op data, and then up to three years. So they do well month one, but then what happens after that? So the trials of DHRS, six months, 12 months, and then we don't know. So this is amazing, right? So um, we can optimize formulas, right? We can know, okay, what's really link patients' experience to uh, post-op outcomes. There's a lot we can do for sure. And anytime you change something, I mean, you have your own records of knowing if you change your technique, you change your lens, you know, you, you start using different, uh, let's say, pharmaceuticals, whatever it is, you can then say, hey, let me go, let me look at the patient report outcomes. Let me look at the dashboard and say, you know, when I change this, now I'm seeing a different kind of, you know, uh, let's say kind of um, uh, visual acuity improvement, you know, kind of based on improvement, or even something like PCO rates. You know, patients are telling me at one year, two years, with this type of lens, I'm getting more patients coming back in for that. You can look at that dashboard and see the patient report outcomes are, are changing at a specific time point. So I think for us to take cataract surgery and this whole 20 idea, 20 happy idea to the next level and to really be more scientific about it, this is going to give us a lot of a data for our, our own patients. And that's what I love. It's not some other data set from someone else's clinic. It's your own patients with your own technology, your own techniques, which I think is really, really, really exciting as well. The other thing I like about this is the control for the feedback is on the patient. So we've all had experiences, you're a medical student, you go into examine a patient, you get the history back, you report to your attending, and then the attending goes in and they get a completely different story, right? Yeah. We've all been there. This is, not every patient, let's say, is comfortable coming in and talking about their, their experience or maybe some complaints or issues they're having. And so this allows them in their own setting outside the doctor's office to just share their feedback. And 
every person is different. Every patient has a different personality. I mean, that's the art of refractive surgery, right? Yeah. Not just the clinical aspects, not just the surgical aspects, but the interpersonal aspects as well. And I just view this as a different tool or modality to collect some of that feedback. And any data points we have regarding the patient experience, I think are just going to make the overall patient experience better. Yeah, I mean, how many times have you had, like, you know, someone complained, you're like, but you're 2020, right. <laughs> you're J1, but what's going on, right? And it's to have that kind of clarity. But also I think too, like to find out maybe personality types and what patients may do better with certain lenses, maybe going back retrospectively, looking at your dashboard and finding out these type of patients just tended to be more happier in general with this type of lens, with this type of technique. I think it really would be beneficial for us to take yeah. a next level. We can track refractive outcomes, right? Patients experience and, and, and any changes that you made. For example, you just added, uh, Phenylephrine, omidra, right? What mm -hmm. happened? How are their patients doing? Maybe mm -hmm. you're not seeing a lot of inflammation or your pain is better, mm -hmm. right? So things that you can uh, track. So you made one little change and then what's happening to After the patients. That, exactly. Yes, I really feel that it's, it's still hard for us to track the entire experience and yeah. what's happening. I mean, to we have our so many patients. changes, so many new technologies going. It's hard to even understand like what is making a difference or not. And this kind of helps us give another another part of that at least as well. Another interesting thing about this is let's look at how how is postoperative care being done in the United States, right? So there's really two buckets. One is the surgeon or some of the optometrists at the surgeon's practice see the patient for the follow up after surgery. But co-management is also another bucket that exists. So this allows, maybe you, the surgeon, or your staff aren't seeing the patient for every single post-op visit. This allows you to still collect that feedback, which I think is really critical for research studies because a lot of times, what's the hardest part about conducting a clinical trial? Recruitment, right? Mm -hmm. And getting that follow-up data. And so in the setting of co-management, maybe a lot of times it's hard to get that follow-up data or at least get that follow-up data consistently and of quality because you can't control the method of measuring vision or assessment at a different clinic. But now, if you can collect this standardized the same way for every patient through an app that utilizes email, I think that opens up a lot of possibilities for research. Actually, I didn't think about that, but I love that what you just said because there are patients where I'm like, I wonder how they're doing, and like you know, when I call your optometrist, be like, hey, are they okay? You know what I mean? But just to see, hey, they're happy, they're giving you good feedback. That's a great way to understand how your surgical skills been. Yeah, that's a really good idea. I love that. Well, I appreciate this was great feedback, but I want to move on to one more topic that we talked about. We're going to talk about, which is kind of using instruments, kind of these kind of uh, disposable instruments, and talk about the need for that, right? I mean, we all have our instruments of choice, but there are moments where you know. Having a disposal will be really good. So Hasa has this whole catalog of like a literally large catalog of all these different instruments that we can have in our center and to have a disposal backup if we need it. Talk about that, Carolini. Kind of how why would that be important? And maybe certain circumstances you can say, yeah, you know what? I'm glad I have that option. Well, one thing that comes to mind: I'm a cornea surgeon, so we still do a lot of tenno sutures, and that drives me crazy that your instruments are always broken the little tip is broken you need to send it back the tires aren't closing oh up <laughs> so give me another one give me so having that backup really high quality instruments right that you know it's there it's ready you don't need to send go through the sterilization process right because yeah. it's it's my it's it's my <laughs> nightmare in the or I mean, give me another tire give me another tire yeah, yeah. so, so yeah. Open, up a new open up a whole new so how many hours i have it right oh you have you have like 30 patients that day right and yes. you only have a certain amount of packs and someone that was sterilized ready and then you need one instrument and they're like we don't have it ready for you now we have to open up a whole new pack you've wasted that whole pack now they have to go resterilize the whole thing and it just all affected your whole flow and efficiency for I mean, us we need to open up an entire new cornea tray which you get one tire yeah. Yeah. And have a backup right there yes. as high quality. Just the, get that one real quick. doing that for just one little. Yeah, I, so I experienced the same thing with Utrata. Sometimes the tips aren't meeting and I can't mm. grab the edge of the flap. And it's, it's just 
it takes time to go open up another one. The other thing is if you're, I'm fortunate to operate out of two rooms at the ASC where I operate, but sometimes let's say if I have a lot of cases that day, they may not have the commensurate amount of trays ready for me. So they, I may have to use different instruments, let's say for case four or five or six, because the other one's getting sterilized. Right now I use disposable steel keratomes for making my paracentesis, for making my main incision. This just allows me to use other instruments right on the fly like that without having to wait or maybe use an instrument that I'm not as comfortable using or haven't used before. Yeah, I mean, I, example recently, you know, I, was, I wanted to have a Kuglin and they dropped the Kuglin on the floor. And so I'm like, can you get another Kuglin? And they're like, uh, uh, uh. And then, and even if they have to open up a tray, they'll go find a tray. And you're like, dude, I'm sitting here, the eyes open. Like, really? Look how nice it is to have a backup. There you go. Just go there, shelf, take it, boom, it's already sterilized, open it up, use it, throw it away, you're done. And so I think that to me is a really big benefit. And the quality is, the quality is pretty impressive. I had a chance to use some of these uh, recently, and the quality is pretty impressive. I was surprised that these are disposable, but they're really nice. <laughs> that's that's kind of cool as well. How does it come packaged? You know, because once we have these big, these peel packs are so big and bulky, and you know, we're kind of eco conscious nowadays. So talk about that too. Yeah, peel packs sometimes are really big, as are just overall trays being sterilized. They're covered in drapes. It's sometimes with IOLs as well, right? It's almost like you're you have like a video game in your hand, and then the IOL itself is so small, but the packaging is massive. Eighteen layers of <laughs> yeah, yeah. So this actually comes in pretty small packaging. It's a, a plastic outer wrap, and then a thin uh, layer of paper on the inside as well. So very condensed. Minimize size relative to other packaging. And I will say one thing I noticed, which is gonna, this is going to sound like a really stupid thing, so sorry about this, but you know sometimes the technicians really get frustrated, nurses get frustrated trying to open up those really, you know how that the ones that are really really big and they're like, you know, you're like you're like working out. This is really easy to open up, and I know it sounds simple, but that's something my comment my technician said to me, which I thought was kind of interesting. I didn't think about those things, but those little things add to the environment, the ease of getting something from the shelf. I mean, it's just the whole positive attitude that happens in the you know. Because when you're in the OR, I don't want to stress. No. I'm a big fan of relaxing, right? And to have things at your fingertips, to have things that they know where they are, to have things that you know are going to work, these are all things that are going to help us kind of create a nice, stable environment for us as well. Love it. Love it. Another, I think, another benefit of having you know, disposable kind of a dis instruments is the kind of idea of infection control. I mean, we're always worried about infection in the, uh, in the OR as well. So talk about that. What does that mean to you having uh, a kind of a nice uh, um, disposable option? Sure. I mean, this is, of course, you do a beautiful surgery, patient comes back with infection and optomitis, right? This is a nightmare to us. And having, again, an instrument that is ready to go, that we're not worried about the process, sterilization. So this is great. Yeah. So I think, I think yeah, I mean, I think, do you have anything else you want to say? Sure. No, I mean, the, the, I look back at, let's say, refractive surgery, right? In the early days of LASIK, what was one of the biggest causes of DLK was maybe some schmutz after sterilization of the instrument, same thing. Mm -hmm. Maybe there's some residual debris on an instrument after sterilization, you end up with a case of TAS. So just having sort of instruments that are disposable, one-time use, it's just, it's just another variable, even if it's small and really is not contributing to every single case, it's just one less thing the surgeon has to worry about. And like you said, on surgery days, I don't want to have to stress about anything. I don't want any changes. I just want to go and give the patient a great surgery. Hey, let's talk about the sterilization process again. I mean, I think it's really important because I've had two issues that I've been really frustrated with. Instruments come back, like we mentioned earlier, broken, bent, and irritated as well. And there's a whole separate kind of... Um, 
sterilization kind of protocol that has to be followed, right? And if any one person in that chain does not follow the protocol directly, you have risks of TAS and other other inflammation or other infection issues that can happen. So, you know, taking that all out, I think is a nice benefit as well. Makes a lot of sense. Yeah, completely. Well, you know, we talk about some really good technology. I think we talk about the lens, we talk about, you know, patient reported outcomes, software, also talk about disposal instrumentation. I think what's nice about cataracts, of course, Rainer's doing a great job, having all these different instruments, all these different products, it's not just talking about them in isolation. It's talking about how all these technologies work together and to help us create a more confident, kind of consistent environment to get the best kind of outcomes we can as well. Thank you guys for some awesome commentary. A lot of pearls I learned from you as well and hope you all there learned something as well. And thank you for joining us for another Rainer Peer-to-Peer -peer podcast. Hopefully another one coming your way soon. Take care, everybody. In the next episode of Peer-to-Peer, -peer, the podcast, We'll be joined by Chris Willis, Tim Brown and Anne Nestor from Rainer for a special Congress episode. They'll be talking about Rainer's extensive ESCRS clinical programme, new and exciting digital launches planned for the show and how Rainer is taking an eco-friendly approach to ESCRS this year to support sustainability within ophthalmology. For more information about this episode's topic and to read the show notes, visit the Peer-to-Peer -peer hub at rainer.com forward slash peer-to-peer. Ray1 EMV has not been registered as an EDOF lens with the FDA as it is not designed to satisfy ANSI Z80.35. Ray1 EMV is a new type of lens that does not have the drawbacks associated with EDOF or diffractive lenses. If you enjoyed listening to this conversation, please subscribe to our channel to be notified of new episodes. This podcast is provided for general information purposes only. The presenter's views are their own. Rayner does not endorse off-label use. Users must refer to the product labelling and instructions for use for Rayner products in all cases. Not all Rayner products are available in all countries. The full disclaimer can be found in the show notes.